Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. Hi. Um, coming up with puns every week is difficult. Mm-hmm. I I was wondering if there's a way that we can do... No. I don't actually have a pun. I just want to bring... Oh. I mean, the, the one that's, like, super, super bad is... Can we talk about vectors and declare vectory on vectorization? <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, I mean, maybe what I just said is our. I mean, intro, it's a low like, bar, and we'll it's... just limbo right under it. <laughs> okay, uh, that was our intro. <laughs> you are listening to Linear Digressions. Oh, bait and switch there, Ben. I yeah. thought that was just banter. Oh, you know it. <laughs> I just I can't. No, I can't. I can't really authentically do it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I don't want to hear you, like, do the placation, oh, that was funny, haha thing, you know, so. But we are talking about vectorization today, and uh, I don't really know what that means. Oh, sure. So that's a fancy, that's a 25-cent word for saying how do you, we're talking about it in the context of text learning. Mm, so okay. you want to do machine learning on text data, on words. So it's on a newspaper article, or on a tweet, or on a book, or on a movie review, whatever. And... That data, that raw text data, is not something that, in general, you can put straight into a machine learning algorithm because machine learning algorithms take numbers because they need to do linear algebra, and linear algebra works on numbers. So does that basically mean... So what I guess I'm I'm hearing or assuming is that vectorization is the process of taking things that are not numbers and somehow converting them to number-y things. Yeah, and there's other words for this process sometimes depending on the subtleties of what's involved in that process and eventually maybe we'll get to some of the other ways you might say this like embeddings or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, but vectorization is a good way to start so the idea of vectorization in the context of text learning is we have this string of text we want to somehow turn it into a series of numbers so that we can send those numbers into a machine learning algorithm and there are a number of different ways that you can do it and just to clarify this is not necessarily just turning a word into a number, it could be a set of numbers, like you just said, uh, which would create, let's say, a two-dimensional vector or a three-dimensional vector or a 200-dimensional vector. Um, And then you could do some sort of uh, processing on those vectors to coax out similarities or uh, relationships. Yeah, so a pretty common way to think about this and a good place for us to start is that words can be translated into numbers and entire documents can be translated into vectors. So a vector, as you said, can have more than one dimension. And especially with text data, it tends to be very high dimensional data. And that's because usually each dimension in your feature vector corresponds to a word. And the English language or whatever language it is you're studying has many thousands of words. And so there's potentially many thousands of dimensions that might be the components of this vector that you have to make out of your text data. Got it. So not something that you can imagine in your head as like a two or three D vector. This is something that's not grokable in a graphical sense. Yeah, for sure. And so how do you actually take those numbers and represent them in the vectors? Well, the simplest one and the simplest way to do it, and let's start here, is something that's called bag of words. So the idea of a bag of words approach is you have a bunch of different uh, sort of documents in a corpus that you're looking at. And each document has a bunch of words in it. 
And so if you take the union of all of the words that occur in your corpus, that's going to be sort of like every single word that you see is one of the, the words that you might have to deal with here. With no duplicates. That's right. That's right. Then the number of words you have in your corpus is basically the dimensionality of the vector that you want to make. So if you see a thousand unique words, you're going to have a 1000 dimensional vector. And each word that you see has a place in that vector. So there has to be some kind of mapping if you want to go back and forth between words and numbers, which you probably do. So your mapping says this spot in the vector belongs to that word. And then if you see that particular word in a document, you put a one there. And if you don't see it in that document, you put a zero. That's the simplest way you can represent it. So then mm. the entire document is just a series of ones that correspond to all the words that are in that document. And then probably most of the spots in that vector are zeros because most words don't occur in most documents. Got it. And then if you want to go the other way, you can't necessarily reconstruct the entire document, but you would at the very least can, can reconstruct of all of the possible words, which ones are in which documents by going from the vector and mapping those ones back to the words and the zeros back to nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to represent your entire data set, what you're going to have is all of these thousand dimensional vectors times however many documents that you have in your corpus that you want to represent. So it'll be a thousand by 20 or by 50 or by 100 or by a million, however many documents you have. You're going to just make a matrix where you stack all those vectors in, on top of each other and you stick them into your machine learning algorithm. Now, one of the things that can be subtle about bag of words, depending on the exact implementation, is as I've described it, it's kind of a binary algorithm. If a word shows up, it gets a one. If it doesn't, it gets a zero. There are certain words that will show up many times. So you can have a word show up repeatedly in the same document. So sometimes then that word will get a two or a three corresponding to how many times it shows up. Other times you just leave it as binary. One of the other things that often happens when you're doing text processing also is removing what are called stop words. So these are very common words that don't usually encode very much information. They're more like grammatical fillers. So this is words like and, not, if, Mm. is um, you can, it's kind of a judgment call whether you remove stop words or not. But if you get rid of stop words, you can usually still see kind of the meaning of the document. All the unique nouns and verbs and adjectives are still there, but you've gotten rid of some of the dimensionality and some of that, some of that cruft. So one problem that I see with this method is that you're not, you're only really encoding the frequency with which you see the, the words. Uh, the, so if you see a word three times, that's encoded in this model, but you don't necessarily encode where in the document the word is or what words are next to it, right? Because uh, words on their own have a good amount of meaning, but their meaning can be changed substantially based on what words are in the sentence or even in the, the paragraph. Yeah, that's right. Bag of words is unaware of anything about order or relationships between the words, except to say that maybe they occur in documents together more often. It, it, it won't necessarily know if they always occur right next to each other or on opposite sides of the sentence or whatever. So one of the other things that you can do when you're representing text data is you can form what are called n-grams. And n-grams, where n is, there can be one, one grams, I guess those are unigrams, that's like a single word. Uh, bigrams are pairs of two words that occur together. Trigrams are three words in a row. Uh, and so on. Usually you don't go higher than maybe four or five grams in practice. But the idea there is now instead of 
encoding words, you're encoding sort of these little proto phrases. Uh, so you are starting to get a little bit more, you're kind of changing the, the size or the scope of the analysis. You're saying that my fundamental unit is no longer a single word, but it's a piece of two words. And so then you can start to encode directly if you see two words that are occurring right next to each other very mm -hmm. often, then bigrams or trigrams will start to pick that up. Does that increase your dimensionality significantly? Yes. Yes, it does. And that's actually probably one of the biggest problems uh, of working yeah. with n-grams is it gets very, very sparse and very, very high dimensional. And that's pretty hard to work with with most machine learning algorithms. Because then you can't say, oh, this, uh, uh, this value in this particular dimension occurs in 17 of my 100 documents. Now maybe it just occurs in one. And like, what can you learn from that? I don't know, maybe nothing. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, it starts to get big enough sometimes that, you know, you run into like memory issues with training these algorithms and stuff. But yeah, Ooh, you're right. That's a good it's, point. It's yeah. pretty tough. One of the other things that we skipped past about bag of words that's worth pointing out is bag of words also doesn't, it doesn't tell you very much about if a, if a word is special, if you should pay any kind of special attention to it. And by special, what I mean is, is this a word that's unique? Is this a word that we don't see very often? And the fact that it's showing up in a particular document might tell us something that's a little bit more interesting than other types of words. So we talked about removing stop words. Um, even if you remove the stop words, there will still be probably pretty common words that show up a lot. Like let's suppose that you have the text of the New York Times. Um, so right now you might see Trump show up a lot. You might see China or North Korea show up a lot. You might, whatever stuff is going on in Manhattan right now, yeah, there might be if, some words that show up with that. And uh, just, just to say, if you're a listener from the future, it is uh, April of 2017 right now. <laughs> yeah, so... Who knows what will happen between now and the time this gets released. Um, <laughs> but that's going to be sort of like the typical vocabulary for something like the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And so then let's imagine that you see a word like, I don't know, dermatologist, right? A little oh. bit of a niche word. It's not something yeah. that you see in the New York Times that often. Uh, it's, not, it's not a weird word by any means. But if you see it start to show up repeatedly in a particular document, then you might say like, oh, this document is talking about something that's a little bit different than like a lot of the other stuff that I've seen. Mm. And that might tell me something that's a little bit special. There's a particular type of vectorization uh, that you can do if you want to have a little bit more emphasis on words that are infrequent. And this is called a TF-IDF matrix, where TF stands for term frequency, and IDF is inverse document frequency. Uh, so then instead of just getting sort of this binary or simple counting measure for each word, what you get instead is a weight for each word that's a combination of how often does this word occur in this document and how rare is this word in the entire corpus overall. So now you have a little bit more context awareness, not about which words are occurring together in certain documents, but which words are more or less common within the particular context of the pieces of text you're looking at. Okay, so let's imagine now we've got some vectorized text. Uh, how do you actually use it in a machine learning algorithm? Oh, sure. So there are a couple types of machine learning. So you, first of all, you can just kind of dump it into a machine learning algorithm and it might turn out okay. Uh, like I said, often this is pretty high dimensional data, and so you, you, you might not have great results as a result of that. Um, high dimensional and sparse. But, and actually, uh, yeah. I, I have a related question. How, um, 
how often do you just how often do you think okay this is probably not going to work but hey i may as well try it you know something like that in your day-to-day katie oh um well so text data is pretty special like there's it's studied enough and like people have worked with it enough that there's kind of like a slightly different toolbox that you might pull out for working with text data. Mm, So if I were to take text data and dump it into, let's say a convolutional neural network, then I should probably have a pretty good reason why I did that, because that's a little bit weird. But if I were to take it and dump it into a current neural network, like that's pretty standard for certain types of tasks. Um, And so, you know, there's like a conventional yeah. wisdom around this stuff some, yeah some on the basis of experience you know and there are like certain types of things that you might do around text learning where the algorithm you know there's like a pretty limited number of algorithms that are obvious choices to try um, and then if you're doing something that's a little bit weird or a little bit more bespoke then you might want to think about custom algorithms but yeah usually um the place to start is for a lot of tasks, if you want to build a binary classifier with text data, you start with Naive Bayes, which is an algorithm that's based off a of Bayes theorem, which I know we've covered in, in some past episodes before. Um, but the idea is this is a binary classification algorithm. And one of the classic examples here is we're trying to build a spam detector for emails, let's say. So mm-hmm. based on the words that are in an email, do we think it's spam or not? And so in this case, the way that you would formulate that as a Bayes theory problem is you would say, um, I'm interested in knowing what's the probability that this document is spam, given that I've seen a particular word in it. And then you sort of add up over all the words in the in the email. The probability that this is spam, given a particular word that I've seen in it, is equal to, now we're making a fraction, and the numerator of that fraction is the probability of this word showing up, given that a document is spam. So you need basically a bunch of spam documents and see what words show up in them, and that will give you that probability, times the probability of spam overall. So is spam 90% of your emails? Is it 10% of your emails? That probability. You multiply those together. And then the denominator is the probability of seeing this word in the entire corpus of all of your emails. So how often does this word occur overall? So you take that ratio, and like I said, you do that calculation for all of the different words that you see. And that will give you an estimate of the probability that a particular email is spam. And so that is actually a really simple algorithm to go through. It treats all the words as independently, which is uh, like we talked about before, maybe a little bit of an oversimplification, but the thing about it is it works pretty well. So like people usually don't care that much. For specialized tasks, it might be a little bit underpowered, but um, you know, for some of the early text learning, this actually worked quite well. If you want to do something that's a little bit more sophisticated than Bayes' theorem or the problem that you have is not well formulated as a binary classification problem, let's say mm-hmm. you're thinking about machine translation, for example, then this is maybe where you pull out something like a recurrent neural network. So recurrent neural nets, we've covered these in previous episodes as well. Uh, But the idea here is that it's a neural network that has some mechanism for looking at at each word as it comes in. And then there's usually some kind of connection between the words that it sees in the order that it sees them. This is a a little bit of an incomplete explanation here, but basically it's it's a 
type of neural network that's particularly good for things like text and other types of time series data where there's sort of an order to the data that you're seeing. It's a little bit more streaming data. Um, and you have an algorithm that is kind of built in a way that takes advantage of that temporal structure and that, you know, kind of handles it in a natural way. That's, a, that's one of the characteristics of a recurrent neural network. So Katie, what about the uh, state of the art stuff? Sure. Yeah. So this is, this is state of the art as of five or 10 years ago, but there's been a lot of big advances around text learning. The biggest one is probably a text vectorization algorithm called Word2Vec. And we are just about out of time on this one. So I think we're going to save that for a future episode. Um, But a lot of the most cutting edge applications right now uh, have even more sophisticated ways of vectorizing text. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.